Hey kids, be sure to listen all the way through to the end for my weekly movie pick and review. Thanks for listening. Another episode of Tales from the Set with yours truly, Jonathan Strayton. I thought on today's episode I would talk about distribution and my experience with distribution um, in the negative way. And, and what I'm going to talk about is kind of embarrassing um, as far as things I overlooked, mistakes I made, but that's one good thing about myself is, you know, once I make a mistake, I'm pretty good about not making it again, uh, if I can pat myself on the back, but um, I'm going to be just honest because I don't want others to make the same mistake that I made. So. So let's start with, let's start with what I've been up to. You know, um, it's real late at night, so, and I gotta get up super early, so. I'm just trying to find the energy to liven up this podcast. Um, so hopefully... Hopefully, once we get into it, I'll, I'll uh, perk up a little bit. Um, the, a couple things. I was um, asked to do a video project for a, a roast um, for a high-profile company. I can't say the name. But um, and they found out about me through word of mouth, which is always nice. And they asked me to do a video. Uh, they had a subject of mine, and I wrote a five-page script. It's gonna be about a you know five-minute video. And I spent the last week shooting it and got some great stuff. And it was really, really fun um, because a lot of times I'm doing features that last forever and, and they're endless shoots and just hours and hours of prep time. So this was really fun and reminded me of when I was younger and going around and, and just shooting stuff really quick and, you know, putting it together and and all that stuff so i had a lot of fun doing this and taking this this subject that is you know um a subject that's kind of hard to uh, create with but i was able i think to come out with some clever uh some clever things so i had a lot of fun doing that um and I will keep you updated on that project. It is to premiere um, mid in November. So, Dan, that, that's one of the reasons I'm up late. I was finalizing the project. It's due for review tomorrow. So I'm hoping they like it. Um, what else? Well, I've been doing this podcast. Uh, this would be nine total that will, you know, counting tomorrow when it airs. 
show. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's been kind of therapeutic just talking <laughs> and to the mic and telling stories or, you know, passing on things I've learned. Um, I really liked it. I've listened to them. Um, it's always weird hearing your own voice. I didn't realize how much I also said, um, I know my sister does. I used to make fun of her all the time doing that. So and now I guess she can make fun of me cause I do it just as much. Um, and, but it's going good. I've, uh, been getting a lot of hits, a lot of downloads. So, excited about the future and that means that you guys are listening and you like it so that's awesome and i really appreciate it so so in this episode i am going to tell you about my journey into the depths of distribution hell okay so let's start with the beginning okay so made my first film made what i wanted to make well i had made some other features um on vhs and i was able to put them in local video stores for in my in the small town that i lived in for a free rental and the reason being the video stores would have loved to charge something for it but I used commercial music at the time, being young and naive. I didn't know that I had to pay, you know, an arm and a leg to get the rights to music. I thought, hey, I bought the CD. I own the rights. I can put this sound. I can put, I can use the door soundtrack. But no, <clears throat> that's not the case. Uh, but anyway, so I was like, yeah, um, you know, I've always been more of, a, I guess, artist than business savvy where I wanted to get uh, feedback and get my work out there and seen. So I did that and you know I always got great reactions from the you know the locals and friends of mine and stuff. And um, my films at the time were kind of uh, kind of spin-offs from Scorsese, Tarantino like films if it was when I was really into studying film and studying the greats and 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 so you could definitely say all my films had like a Tarantino-ish, Scorsese, Coppola, Kevin Smith even kind of uh, flavor to it or inspiration. So, um, and I remember one of the clerks at the video store, she was like a... I mean, she was an encyclopedia for film. She knew everything. And, you know, she would give me, you know, pointers and tips, you know, since she had watched so much stuff. And she told me, she's like, you know, you, you should write something personal, you know, something that you know, you know, you're making, you're, you're 17 and 18 and you're making movies about hitmen and stuff like that. Why well, I would try and make something that's personal to you that you could relate to and that maybe others can relate to. So that always stuck with me. And that's when I later wrote and directed Big Fish in Middlesex, which is a personal story. <clears throat> um, so that did well in the festival circuit and I, a lot of a lot of distributors reached out to me for screeners because they heard about it doing the buzz in the festival circuit, 
And then, so I sent out Zurich, uh, sent out the screeners, and no one wanted it. Um, but uh, eventually, it was picked up by SRS Cinema, which is Ron Bonk's distribution company. Um, it premiered at his film festival in 2006, I believe, the B-Movie Film Festival, yeah. Premiered there, and that's actually how we met. I came up to New York for the festival, so... Um, so that was kind of it with that. That was my first kind of experience with distribution and then, and then so on. Then I worked with Ron cause he, he had done distribution and, you know, I, I've said this often, but it's almost like when you learn film distribution and the, the nitty gritty of it, it's like, I felt like I was the first time I found out like Santa Claus didn't exist. Now, if any kids listening who do believe in Santa Claus, he does. So just skip over this. But anyway, those who don't, they know the feeling that I'm talking about. Um, whereas I thought that you know a good story and and just passion and hard work and. You know, uh, trying to be original and clever dialogue would surpass anything. But no, that wasn't the case. Movies with, you know, tons of sex nudity or blood and gore and a fancy key art and a catchy title are the ones that got picked up for distribution and sold big. Whereas the ones that were good just got, you know... No one, no one watched, and I'm not just saying like, hey, I think mine's good, and this this particular film isn't. I mean, uh, you'd have to, you know, have kind of been through it with the distribution. I'm sure some of you filmmakers have, and who have, would know what I'm talking about. Um, stuff that's just a constant rip off of, uh, you know, a, a certain slasher formula or something. Nothing original, anything like that. And a lot of filmmakers do that purposely because they know that that will sell and that's how they make their living, which is fine and great. It's just, you know, kind of when I found out that you can't really make what you want until, I, you know, you're big and successful, maybe like Tarantino, then you can make what you want. And then you still risk, you know, making something that doesn't work. Um, and some big time directors, none, you know, come to mind that I can think of have done that. But so, so anyway, yeah. So that got distribution. Uh, it was released in August. Uh, I signed the distribution deal. I think at the end of two thousand six, and actually wasn't released till two thousand eight because there were other films, and you know. Uh, slated to be released before it so that's another thing sometimes your film can take a long time even though when it's premiered a festival it can still take a year or two before it comes out so um and i was realistic about my goals i was never like this film made it for three thousand dollars it has its flaws and you know it lacks certain um uh, you know, uh, production values. Um, 
but I was realistic. I wasn't like I'm gonna send this to you know Warner Brothers and 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 you know the Academy and start my Oscar campaign. Uh, I was realistic. I, I think you should always still send your stuff to the big guys, just to say you did, just because you never know. They might say your movie sucks, but they see your performance in it, or they like they like something about it. You never know. So I always say send it anyway. But. I chose distributors that I thought I would have a chance with based on other films I had seen. So, and I would go to the video store and I would rent tons of movies. My dad at the time, um, I think I just moved out of my apartment. I think I moved in with my dad to save up some money, uh, to, to get my next apartment or something. I can't remember. I, think I was living with my dad for like two months. I remember that. And he loved to watch movies. And he would always tell me, you know, hey, go up to the video store. I made a list of movies I want you to rent. And the funny thing about my dad is the movies he wanted me to rent were still in theaters. He's like, I saw the trailer for it on the other night. I want to see it. Go rent it. I was like, Dad, this is in the theaters. It's not in the video stores yet. So it was always an ongoing joke. So I went up there and I would also rent movies from, you know, the lower the lower end distributors or, or smaller studios. At the time, like um, uh, Vidmark. Well, that's even actually really old, but uh, Image. Um, I can't even think of any that I was running from. Uh, Image, York Entertainment, um, uh, Maverick. These were all distributors that took low-budget films and got them into places. And that's what I wanted. That was my dream. My dream was to win, you know, of course, win an Oscar and direct blockbusters. But my real dream was to you know go to a video store and have my movie there on the shelf you know because as a kid i rented tons of movies and loved looking at the artwork and the movies and reading the credits and who was involved and i just you know one day my movie's gonna be up here my one day my movie's gonna be a blockbuster and believe me when i was young i tried and i said hey can i put my movie up here and they're like no you can't just you know it's not how it works so 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 I'd rent these movies and check them out um and the these were all companies that got their films out there in the big in the big stores the, the Walmarts and the Best Buys and the Hollywood Video and the Blockbuster yada 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 so I rented a movie called and Maverick I had sent my film to and York Entertainment I believe and actually Image okay so I sent them to all those and got rejected okay uh, you know, it's very nice though. The film doesn't fit what we're looking for at this time, but please consider us for your future projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the their formal, you know, letter they send to everyone, I guess. So uh, I was like, okay. So let me see what it, it is they're picking up. So I saw the the trend was urban black films horror films, religious films, and Hispanic films. So I was like, okay. And so I did further research, and these films seemed to be the films that was kind of the 
the safe bet. You made something in this genre, it was pretty good chance it was going to sell. And, you know, horror's always been that way. It's always been the easiest. That's how um, New Line Cinema, you know, they call it, they say New Line Cinema is the house that Freddy built, as in Freddy Krueger Elm Street. It's the movie that the, uh, the founders of uh, New Line Cinema, they made... Um, they had started New Line, and then uh, they produced Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's what you know uh, made them into a big studio. <laughs> so, so at the time, I was involved with Ron Box Clay, which was a horror film, and I was producing Timmy Reaper's Lights Camera Dead. So I was kind of, I wasn't really wanting to dive into a third horror project, but I was interested in doing an urban gangster film. Um, at the time, I was doing music videos for Rich City Records in Richmond, and the two uh, head rappers who who had the company had talked to me about writing a script with them and doing a feature film. But at the time, I mean, I, was, I wasn't inter- interested. I was, as far as I know, Big Fish was going to you know, win at Sundance, and I was going to sign a three-picture deal, yada, 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 and then I was going to make my epic ninja film. That's a whole other story. But anyway, <clears throat> so that didn't happen. So then when I saw that... You know, this urban, the urban films were being, um, were getting out there. And I read one in particular called Black Saturday. And it wasn't very good. All right. And I, I hate to say that, but I mean, there were details to certain scenes that were completely wrong or huge continuity uh, mistakes, such as. Uh, different shirts, different guns. It was just, it was bad. It was, it wasn't so much the story or anything. It was just the, it was sloppy filmmaking. Okay. So I was like, I can make something that is better than this or at least equal. Okay. I always try and put my ego in check. So I was like, I'm going to write a script. So I talked to the, the head guys at, um, Rich City Records, and one in particular, his name was Bush. That was his rapper name, Ann Bush. Just called him Bush. He told me some ideas he had. He wanted to do something about a counterfeiter that or gangsters turned counterfeiters turned rap stars. I wasn't necessarily interested in turn doing the rap angle because at the time, you know, like Hustle and Flow came out and that was big so i i wanted to stay away from that and i wasn't and i think eight mile come out just a few years back so i i, I didn't want to do anything with hip-hop especially since they were an indie label they didn't have anything that was mainstream or anything like that so so i was like this could work i you know i've always loved hip-hop music and um i've always loved crime films scorsese is my favorite director and also, I, I love the film um, "To Live and Die in L.A.", and that that's a counterfeiter movie. And so I was like, you know, I'm gonna write this script, and I'm gonna do this because I think I can get this, you know, distributed. So that's what I did. Made that movie. Uh, 
probably one of the fastest productions I did. It Off and on, it took almost two years, but I wrote the script in six weeks, and then we were up and ready to shoot in like a month and a half later, and then it was just the shitty worst production ever. So, so finally got the film done. <clears throat> so I submit it around, or no, what happened? Oh, okay, so I'm in New York at the time. And, um, Ron's helping me, uh, you know, send screeners out. And so he had sent it to, uh, Maverick along with some other distributors who turned it down. Um, and then I'd send it to some. So Maverick was interested and they, they let us know at first they were interested. They just really kind of slow about it. And I was starting to get real nervous because I had shot the film on uh, standard and de- standard definition, and the HD craze was just starting to take over at the time when I was finalizing the project. So by the time this distri- distribution came around, they were looking for HD masters, and I told you know, so I told them now it's it's standard def, you know, and. They would. They just kept coming back with questions. Do you have M and E tracks, which I didn't know. You know, were just separate music and effects tracks, so that they, you know, for international sales, they can they can they can dub over it in French or German, but still have the music and sound effects and shit. So I was like, you know, and at the time I don't know why, but I said no, I don't have those because I could have easily gone in and just separated all the tracks, which I did at one point, but that that's later on. So, so, uh, so Maverick is starting to show interest and, um, they, and then another company that I'd sent off to, um, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's, uh, uh, Viva Vendenda or Viva Vendendi or something like that. It's French, and they used to be part of Universal. I don't know if they are anymore. So I submitted to them, or not to them necessarily, but a sales guy who did, who who uh, worked with them. So he liked the film. He said, "I can get it through. Uh, you know, I can get it distributed, but it's going to need a lot of work. It's going to need to be recolor corrected. Audio needs to be redone. Yada yada." So and he's saying, "I'm willing to put all this money into it." which is going to eat up your advancement. So basically saying, I'm not going to pay you anything up front. You get something on the back end. So, uh, you know, and then at the time, it was right around the time when Maverick was, they told me, you know, they were interested in the film. And so, you know, I had both, Companies or the sales rep and Maverick interested in the film. So, you know, I was excited but nervous because, like I said, Standard Definition was on his way out and HD was taking over. And that's what they both had originally wanted. So, Maverick had told me they weren't going to be able to offer me the advancement that they typically could because of the economy. This was right at the end of 2008 when everything went to shit. So I was like, damn. But they were like, but we have a great reputation. You can contact any of the filmmakers we worked with, and they will, you know, tell you the same. So I was like, okay. And the sales rep 
I decided to, you know, he didn't tell me that, but I was like, let me contact filmmakers. You know, with the internet, you can find out just about anything. So that's exactly what I did. I researched, you know, the filmmakers who had gone through the sales rep in Cali that did this, uh, uh, Viva uh, Vendendi with Universal. <clears throat> and several were like, no, do not deal with this guy. You'll never see a cent. You'll never see anything. And one guy was actually, um, and he'd done a Western, I think, with Kane. Uh, I can't remember who, who, what he did. I don't want to say the wrong shit. But, um, he said he was actually uh, in a lawsuit with the guy. So, and then another director—I forget his name—but he did Diamond Dogs, and he had told me basically what the guy was doing. He he basically bullshits that the film needs a lot of work, which requires a lot of money. So, but he'll pay for it, but he can't give you an advancement. So you'd see money at the back end, but you never do. Because that's what Hollywood accounting is. They, you know, they <clears throat> alter the books. That's why you got to read your contracts. And so, so basically, how it works is when you sell your film, typically they'll give you a percentage up front. They'll say, here's some money to buy your film. And then in their contract, they say, this is what we're going to put into your film for marketing and, you know, replication and key art and everything. And once they make that money back, then you get a royalty for, you know, as long as they have the movie for, as long as it sells. So, you know, it sounds good, but... And that's where my story comes in. So, Maverick, they... I decided to go with Maverick. Or, or, hold on. I call... I, I contact the people. I just look them up on Facebook, whatever I can do. Some of the directors were hesitant about talking to me, which is fucking weird. I'm trying to find out some information. I don't want to get screwed if you're screwed. Let me know. If you think they're the best company in the world, let me fucking know. So, I contacted, I think, six or seven who had gone through them. And they all didn't say amazing things but they didn't say bad things they were just like yeah they're a good first company to go with yeah they, i mean they get your film out there so i was like okay and at this point it was just maverick that was it, it all the other distributors or a few interested they were turned me down because i didn't have an hd master because it was shot in standard def and i had sent copies to every studio i could find on the internet so so I decided to go with Maverick they sent me a contract it's massive like 65 pages I had never you know seen a you know a contract uh, at this length and at the time I was doing some freelance work and I was broke so I, I couldn't afford a lawyer um, even though my buddy Ron recommended that I have a lawyer, you know, look look it over. And I was like, you know what? I'm a smart guy. Let me fucking read it, okay? 
So I read it, and of course I'm trying to read it and read it and read it because I'm was having ADD or something, but I couldn't focus because the, all the, the contract lingo and and uh, all the the all that it was kind of hard. It was almost like Shakespeare, you know. I'm sure anyone who's read a fucking contract will say the same thing. Um, but I thought I had understood it and everything, and. So I was like, I'm smart. I can fucking read this. I don't need to hire, pay pay a lawyer to do this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sign the contract. Sign the contract. Basically, um, they were, like I said, they said they couldn't offer the advancement that they used to. And the other filmmakers I talked to, they had told me the advancement that they'd given them. So. I knew that they had given advancements, so there wasn't any fishy thing going there, you know, with them saying they couldn't offer what they did to these other guys. So, but they still offered the royalty, and they said they were going to put $150,000 into marketing, you know, domestic and uh, overseas. And so then at that point, they required certain things. They wanted some uh, bonus material for the DVD. So I sent them, um, well, I had, I had uh, my executive producer, Gene, come out from Virginia. At the time, I was living in Oklahoma City. had him coming out, and we re-recorded a audio commentary track, and um, then I edited together outtakes, and at the time, I think I was in post-production on Miss Campbell Holocaust editing that, so sometimes when I'm editing one pro- project, I'm like kind of like a one project at a time, you know, I don't like jumping around. As I've gotten older, I'm I'm okay with it, but back then, I was like, no, one thing at a time. I don't like to take my focus away from what I'm working on, so... So it was really hard at the time to go back and, you know, put together outtakes and behind-the-scenes stuff. And then they wanted to do for um, uh, a closed caption, um, they wanted a a transcript of the film. So there was a lot of parts that I had the guys ad-lib. I mean, I would write the subject that they were supposed to say and... After a while, they'd have a hard time saying it. So I was like, sorry, just say it how you would say it, meaning the same thing I wrote. And they're like, okay, I can do that. That's how I would say it. And, you know, so I was like, ah, shit. You know, I could just take the easy way out and just say, yep, they say the same thing in the script. They could add those as subtitles. But I, being OCD and stuff, I wanted it to be for the hearing impaired. I wanted them to read exactly what they were saying. So I went through the whole thing and basically typed out a exact tran- audio transcript of everything that was said. Um, and it took a long time. So I did that. Sent all this stuff in. They were, Maverick was great. They were, you know, quick about getting stuff done. Um, and then I remember I'd emailed him and said, hey, have you guys, do you guys have any key art yet for the film? And like, yes, he attached. Which kind of bummed me because I would think like, hey, we have the key art done. Let's notify the director and send him one instead of me having to ask, you know. So 
that was kind of one of my first small red flags. So then um, we fast forward to the release, the the release date, um, February, I think it was February 10th, 2010. By what? Excuse me. Jeez. Yawning on my own podcast. Oh, my God. So, the deal was I was going to go out with my wife, Bree. We'd been married a year, I think. Yep. And we were going to go to all the blockbusters and check it out and take pictures and stuff like that. Because that's where they got their stuff, blockbuster and stuff. So And I would researched ahead of time. And it was listed as an urban film. So, that meant it went to the urban blockbusters whatever the fuck that means i mean it means what it means but certain films go to where they think the demographic is that's gonna be renting it so so that kind of sucked i was hoping it was in all the blockbusters because maverick has certain certain films that aren't all the ones but it was listed as a urban film so it was in the urban ones so yeah 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 so remember now, this is my dream. I'm going around the blockbuster and seeing my movie on the shelf, which I'd fantasized about since I was a kid, you know. And but at the time, it wasn't the magic that I thought it was going to be, you know. It just felt like, oh yeah, it's there. Uh, you know, I hope it makes some money and does well, you know. So anyway, so I rented it. I rented my own movie. And it was funny because the clerk was like, uh, my wife, you know, of course, like, that. he made this movie. You know, and she knows I I, I don't like the attention like that. And, you know, because I get pretty shy. But they're like, really? You made this movie? Oh, my God. Can I get a picture with you? And I was just like, yeah, sure. So uh, I remember I was driving around listening to Game, the game, his uh, second album. It was drinking a 40 and that was that was how i celebrated back then so we went home to watch the movie and oh i was so disappointed because even on the back of the dvd it advertises director producer commentary audio commentary and there and outtakes and special bonus content on the dvd and there was zero special features like it was just the dvd the menu and it was just play and chapters and i think trailers from other maverick films that was it no audio commentary no option for the hearing impaired remember i spent all the time writing the transcripts and all that no bonus material the stuff that they had asked me for to produce if they weren't going to put it on i wouldn't spend all that time or spend the money to have my executive producer come all the way to fucking oklahoma city so we could do fucking audio commentary you know what i mean so they asked me for something and they don't even put the special fucking features on there okay so i'm like all right so i'm gonna i'm pretty pissed and then not only that the quality of the dvd now part of that was you know i will take blame for because at the time i wasn't all you know savvy as i am now on color correction and the broadcast levels so i and i used to i loved 
like the look of Tony Scott's films. They were real, real contrasty, and um, the blacks were real rich, and the whites were always, uh, you know, like super overexposed. It just looked really cool. So, and that's what I wanted to do for this film. I had really, really rich contrast, but I know I'd clip some of my blacks and my whites, and but I felt like they just ran it through the whole film through a like a filter. And it, you know, just, uh, um, I don't know, extracted the blacks back in and the whites. And it had just kind of like this grayish washed out look. And anyone who knows me, I'm a quality freak. And I, I worked so hard on making it look the way it did, especially because it was a low-budget film. I had only spent 7000 making it, and I was shooting it on, you know, a standard-def camera, and I had spent so much time trying to make it look like a big-budget film, and it just it looked just washed out. It looked awful. It didn't look sharp. It didn't look crisp. The, the copy I could make on my computer looked better than what they had fucking put out. So... So I'm really disappointed. I'm upset. My wife is really cool. She's trying to be like, but it's a blockbuster and all that. And I'm just like, ah, yeah, you're right. But I'm fucking pissed. It's not, this isn't how I wanted it to be. So whatever, yada, yada, yada. So the next day, um, they, Maverick, whenever a film comes out, the film is reviewed and they put out a review on it, but it's usually someone that the distributor sponsors. So if they're sponsoring the reviewer, they're typically going to write it in a favorable light, right? But not with mine. So this 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 uh, journalist who wrote for Ebony, I believe, she re- reviewed my film and she didn't say very nice things about it. She said it was just blah, yada, 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 which I can take. People said they don't like my stuff. They've said why, and there's some things I could agree to, and some others I, I can't, but I know not everyone's going to like my stuff. But she had said stuff, for example, like she had said in one of the scenes, the main character at the beginning narrates that um, him and this guy have been friends since they were kids, and she said she would have liked to have seen a flashback of maybe when they were kids instead of him just saying they were friends since they were kids. Okay, so I about flipped the fucking leg because I was like, bitch, did you watch the fucking movie? Because he says, I've been friends with him. We've been friends since we were kids. And it flashes back to a, uh, a pan shots panning down from, you know, uh, telephone wires with the shoelaces and all that dangling from there to these two kids walking and then cuts to them in a room listening to music. And then one of the grandmothers comes in and tells them to turn down the music and they talk about how they're not going to listen to anyone when they're older. There's a whole scene where they flashback one of the kids. So she was, it was like, did she watch the movie? She's saying things that she thinks it should have that it did have. Um, and even if you check out on my YouTube channel, it's uh, it's uh, Jonathan Strait, and I don't uh, under somewhere there. Find look up Jonathan Strait on YouTube, and you'll find it. But I put one of the opening scene, that scene. So. 
So right away I'm pissed because she's saying my film doesn't have stuff that it clearly does. And not only that, I'm like, what the fuck? Maverick is sponsoring this and she shits all over the movie. Who would do that? I was like, I couldn't believe that. So it's like, um, yeah, uh, Fox releasing a new Star Wars or something. And then they sponsor a critic who bashes the film. They wouldn't do that. They're about making money. So I didn't get it. So I was like, what a fucking bunch of idiots. So, um, I emailed them. I was pissed and they'd emailed me back shortly and said, we apologize. I said, I need to talk to you guys about the release and this review. So they said, um, we'll give you a call at so-and-so time. They didn't. So I decided to call them. They're like, oh, hey, can we put you on speakerphone? We're in the office. Hey. So it was like three of them. I can't remember. And they were going to, they said, oh, sorry, we were going to call you. Yeah, okay, you didn't call me. And I said, okay, um, yeah, first off, all that work I'd done for the bonus material was not on the fucking DVD. What happened? Um, yeah, and they said, I think her name was Sharon, who I was dealing with at the time, who was not on the call, but they said, yeah, apparently she said there was an issue with one of the files you sent, and, um, it wasn't, it, it, they tried to resolve it, but they couldn't, and they had already printed the sleeves for the movie, so, yeah, we kind of dropped the ball there, and I was like, Okay, but I've talked to Sharon, I mean, almost weekly, and I said, if there's anything she needs, I can fix it, I can change it, I can do whatever. Um, which side note, I forgot. I had, To go with Maverick, I had to cut a scene, a um, male f- uh, frontal nudity out of the beginning of the scene, out of the begin- beginning of the movie. Um, in order to get it in the stores. So that was one of the other things I had to do that I forgot. <clears throat> but I was fine with that. I wasn't like, oh, no, I need, my film needs to have this male penis. It's important. No. I was like, okay, yeah, I understand. It's for shock value anyway at the beginning of the movie, so whatever. So anyway, that's kind of what they say. So I was like, all right. So second, you guys sponsor a review that, fucking bashes the film and you know and i understand you know if people bash the film i don't care if every critic bashes the film but why would the company that is standing behind my film that believes in my film that's distributing my film that's selling my film and trying to make money why would they sponsor or push a review that is fucking talking shit about it i just couldn't I couldn't understand. And I remember at the time, I think she was like the, she was one of the high ups, like maybe vice president or president of international sales or some shit. And she was like, Jonathan, let me tell you something about this business. Not everyone's going to like your stuff. You just got to rise above it and keep moving on. I was like, hold on. Are you not listening to what I'm saying? I know not everyone's going to like my stuff. As a matter of fact, my mother doesn't like some of my stuff. She doesn't like the cussing and the violence and all that shit. She wants me to make a fucking G-rated movie. It ain't going to happen. But you are trying to sell the movie. So two things. Why would you, something you stand behind, why would you fucking sponsor something that talks shit about it? And then 
two, you're trying to make money off this. Why would you put an ad out there that obviously is going to make people say, I'm not going to rent that or buy that movie. But it was in the air, not the other. They just said, well, John, you got to understand, blah, 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 blah. So whatever. Okay. So time passes and I'm not getting my statements quarterly. So I'm having to constantly get off after them to send statements. So they start sending me statements and whatever. And um, the statements, it's looking like it's not making any money. So I'm just like, what the fuck? So a year or so goes by. And, uh, you know, I, I keep asking for statements because it's being a pain in the ass. And just the numbers aren't adding up. So I... One of the guys, I said, hey, this doesn't make sense. How? What are you guys spending money on here? Um, it says you guys have spent, you know, 80000 What? What? What did that go through? Because I saw zero, you know, uh, effort in marketing. And, you know, can you send me receipts? And, like, we are not obligated to send you uh, receipts. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, reread your contract on page, yada, 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 yeah. And that is where I should have hired a lawyer. And I thought I understood what I read that I didn't. It basically said, and even I reread it and it still doesn't make sense. But basically in kind of a, in contract jargon, it said that we don't have to, you know, show receipts to what we're spending the money that we're putting into the project. So I was like, oh shit. I was like, well, I didn't quite understand that. So, and the guy was a dick. He was like, well, you can always audit us. So I was fucking pissed. So I sent an email to the president, uh, Doug, and I laid into him and his company, basically, and I threatened to write a blog telling him how they haven't sent my statements. I've constantly called for my statements, and then when I call and I'm questioning the statements, the, the guy tells me I can audit them. I mean, I spent two years and you know, sweat and blood and all that shit in this movie, and uh, you guys are basically fucking me over, so said all that shit. So he calls me, all right, and they're down in Florida, if you guys don't know, but I think he's from New York. Um, so he calls me, and he's like, look, really sorry how things went down, and he was really cool. He was like, I don't know, I don't. I think her name is Melissa. He's like, I don't know why Melissa put that fucking stupid ad out there, or that review that talks shit about the film, and why she put our stamp on it, that she's just stupid you know he's like and then the bonus material is like i want to make it up to you he's like every and also he had his sales guy in there basically kind of apologizing for saying you could always audit us which i'd love to see that dude fucking person because i'd punch him fucking right in the nose be like audit this bitch but anyway so uh he said I want to make it up to you. He said every every year um, or twice a year, we take a film that we feel had potential 
but for whatever reason didn't make the numbers that we thought it would and we re-release it in a in our spotlight edition and that's what we want to do with yours it's like we love your film the two blades we think it's one of the best urban films we have and we've distributed and we want to put money into it and re-release it and that won't go it won't be any new money spent there will be no new contracts we'll release it and we, we want to release it right and you know with the bonus materials and how it was intended to make up for for our fuck up basically so i was like oh okay cool and he's like do you have any suggestions that you want to do with the film i was like yeah at the time the movies the name was two plates i was like maybe if we change the name that might help sell it and he's like yeah i would agree so and that's where we came up with uh blood red presence i had other names but i was dealing with one of these bitches in maverick and she was just like the name ah, that I which was the one? Um, oh, one of the original names for the script was <laughs> "To Live and Die in L.A." or "To To Live and Die in V.A." Take off of to L.A. You know, V.A. being Virginia. That's where it takes place, and it talked about that. It talked about Richmond, you know, and and and, and it talked about the right at the time, you know, a few years back, Richmond was you know one of the most dangerous cities in the United States. So I thought it had that appeal and whatnot. So to live and die in VA. And I remember she came back with, how about to live and die in VA respected? Or to live and die respected. And I was like, what the fuck? Where are you from? Where do you think that would fucking to live and die respected? Anyway, so we finally settled on Blood Red Presidents. But like I said, the president Doug's like, "Well, do new key art. We'll do we'll, we'll do this right." So I was like, "Cool." I was like, and we'll get into Redbox. You know, Blockbuster's closing down, and Redbox is where it's at now. Well, that that's where we'll get in. I was like, "All right, cool." So I said, "I you know, can I remaster the film? I have the technology now, and I can make it look and sound you know many times better." He's like, "Yeah, go for it." So I was like, okay, and at the time I'm fresh off doing Night of Something Strange, and I stupidly decided to put that on the back burner and dive into, you know, five-year-old project. And uh, luckily, my project was still intact. I was still using Premiere, just, you know, versions later. And I remastered it. I was able to give it the look I had always wanted. I was able to give it the effects i always wanted for example in the scenes i added muzzle flashes digitally we were going to do blanks but because we we're actually shooting in the real you know project areas of richmond we, th we didn't want to draw attention to us so we did tests and we were able to duplicate um gene and i went out he had a body shot at the time and he shot a real gun recorded it and then we he did a uh, fake gun and we did a muzzle flash and we were able to match it almost identically so that's what we did so I was able to go back and fine tune those because um, at the time I just had a consumer computer I'd edited that film on I mean I think it had like fucking one gig of RAM Jesus but then you know now I had a Mac Pro 32 gigs of RAM and solid state drive and all that shit so I could just fucking make it uh 
just do tons of stuff with it. It was, you know, uh, in After Effects, I was able to clean up artifacts in it and compression and, and um, uh, you know, really make it look how I always wanted it intended. And I really enjoyed going back through it and, and making it um, the best that I could. Um, and, and I did at the time with what I had, but I knew now, you know, I'd always talked about, most filmmakers talk about their early works because they're always pretty rough. So like if one day I'm going to go back and restore it, and yeah, 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 yeah. So I was able to do that. So I submit the master, I sent it on a hard drive and I told him, oh, also one of the issues I had with was the way it looked. I said, I told, you know, Sharon that I wanted uh, you know, a reference disc to check it out because it looked like shit when I, you know, saw the release. And he's like, "Oh no, we'll put you in touch with the production house and all that. We got a new production house. It'll make it look beautiful." Yada yada yada. So okay, so Doug basically promised me the world. So go back through all the shit I do, find the outtakes and the audio commentary, and send it all in. Okay. So now it has a new release date, September. I can't remember 2013, which is bad because I mean, this is the release of your movie. You know, you're gonna the you, the release date's gonna stay. You know, stick in your brain. But because of, this was such a clusterfuck, it it just was of no importance anymore. So it gets released. It's in Redbox. And so, you know, I go to Redbox to check it out, and it actually was on one of the ones up the street. And sure enough, it's released as a double feature um, with this other film. And I can't, I don't even know what the fuck the other film was at the time. Another urban film. <laughs> martial arts film. Another martial arts film. Yeah, okay. And. The key art's the same. And all they did is, like, put... It looked like they, you know, erased over the original name, Two Plates, and put over the new name. And it had none of the special features. I was just like, what? He never said it was going to be a double feature. He, he never... He said it was going to have all the special features. It was going to be new key art, all this shit. And it was just packaged as a double feature with some other film. I mean, I was just like, what the fuck? Why would he tell me it was going to be one way and not the other, especially after the first experience I had? So, but, you know, um, the film, the DVD looked pretty good for the replication, for what they did through their post house. It looked pretty good from the original. Um, but... Other than that, I mean, it's on a DVD-5 with two films on it, so you know they double-compress the shit out of it to fit that shit on there. So, you know, I wasn't too happy about that. And, I mean, I was just at a loss for words. I was like, what the fuck? What is that? I mean, they just don't give a shit. They don't give a shit what I have to say, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I later emailed, waited another quarter for my statement, didn't get one. And Doug called me. He's like, "Hey, yeah, saw your saw your email. Hey, did you were you able to check out your film at Redbox? Uh, you saw, you know, I stuck to my word there." And I was like, "Yeah, but I thought it was gonna be, you know, a 
uh, you know, standalone. You know, oh well, times are tough, especially for standard deaf and all that. Which is fine if he had told me that. I would have been cool. You're gonna re-release it, re-release it every year. It's a double feature, then a triple feature, yada yada yada. But don't tell me one thing and then me go and expect something fucking cool and go and it's not. You know, just be straight up with me. So that was kind of the last of it, and um, it's still a uphill battle with them so if you're thinking about going maverick they don't give a shit about your film uh they just want something in a genre they can sell and make money you will most likely not make money on it uh they can get it into places and five six years ago that was important to me to be in blockbuster and Redbox, but now with just the you know, the digital, um, you know, the, the digital uh, medium and access to so many things and be able to put stuff out your own way. And I say, fuck them. I wouldn't go with them. You know, they their films are pretty shitty, including mine, which I think is shitty. And so I say, big fuck you to Maverick. And I hope they fucking crumble uh they even had the nerve to they saw my teaser somewhere hey you gonna send that send us a screener fuck no you guys can suck my dick you take film you take films low budget films that were made less than 10 grand that have promise that you can slap fancy key art on and give it a catchy title and you can you can make you know a shitload of money on and you know you take advantage of filmmakers who are just desperate to get their work seen and you promise you know they you'll get in the blockbuster you do all these other things and but you know when it comes to the money you don't deliver so uh i hope this company folds because they're fucking dicks and that's it that's my experience let me look over my notes though maybe i forgot something else here because i do write notes down because i'll go on a tangent uh yeah i spent four months remastering um so whatever yeah and just and uh came out the release sucks because people on Redbox the reviewers are bashing it immediately which I say you know fuck them too yes I, it's a shitty film I can say that about my film but I, I don't really want anyone else saying that about my shit especially they don't know what went into it the movie was made for less than 7,000 okay everyone who worked on it worked for free I did practically everything behind the camera. I was the the sound mixer. I was the the effects artist, uh, or digital effects artist. Timmy Reaper from Lights Camera Dead did the effects. Um, I was the editor. Uh, I was the DP. Uh, I mean, you. I mean, n- no one got paid. Everyone did it for free, and at times we did have fun. Um, so, you know, when these guys bash, I just want to be like, all right, you make something like this and you get it released and you see it to the end, you know, and let's see how good it is. But that's my story and that's it. So, uh, I'm outie.
Until next time, this is Jonathan Straten. Tales from the set. Peace. This is my movie pick of the week, and it is the documentary Fed Up, which basically talks about the uh, the dangers of sugar in the United States, which I kind of already had researched since having my daughter. I wanted her to be as healthy as possible, and, um, you know, we cut out anything with artificial colors and 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 uh ingredients and flavors and all that shit which was really hard to do um and tried to cut out stuff with added sugar and all that shit so i, I kind of knew a lot of what sugar was already about and and i'm not a saint by any means i mean there are times you know we'll let her have some of the some of the junk food but not very often um but so this fed up it was really cool because <clears throat> it was just talking about it just it brought a lot of things about the dangers of sugar to uh to light i guess and one of the things that's interesting about this documentary a lot of documentaries it, it's not rocket science it's just the lack of education or the desire to learn about it or research about it you know and it was just interesting saying how, um, you know, sugar in most things, when it goes through your, I guess, liver, um, yeah, when it goes through your liver, immediately uh, stores it as fat. Whereas um, sugar from natural things like fruit and stuff, it goes through your liver and then turns that sugar into energy um which i thought was interesting and i also talked about the difference between um a calorie burned whether you are running on a treadmill or sleeping the calorie burned is a calorie burned but uh calorie consumed let's say 160 grams from a coke or 160 grams from a thing of almonds is not the same your body's not going to process it the same process it the same way the almonds which are natural and good for you those nutrients are going to go to where they need to go whereas the coke is just immediately going to be stored as fat because what happens i guess when it goes into your liver and pancreas i could be getting all this shit wrong but this is just basically what i remember so it goes and it's in it your insulin levels shoot up and it's going to overload so it can't process i guess the 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 sugar quick enough so it just immediately stores it as fat hence why you get fat so but the documentary is worth checking out it's not quite as good as food food ink but um but it's pretty good you know um and it's about being healthy and shit which i which you know i try to do um so check it out that's my movie pick of the week peace